Welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is about Matthew chapter 25, verse 13 through verse 46. What does the parable of the servants and the talents mean? Does being saved by grace mean that Messiah doesn't have any expectations of us? What are the talents? And who are the servants? Is this parable just about full-time ministers, or is it all believers? Why should we be diligent to make something out of what we've been given? Does God care about works? What is the reward for those who are faithful? Who are the sheep and the goats at Messiah's coming? Why are the sheep allowed to enter the kingdom while the goats are thrown in the lake of fire? And what does this judgment tell us about how Messiah feels towards his faithful servants? Stay tuned through to the end of today's program for Eliyahu ben David's insight on these questions and more in Matthew chapter 25, verse 13 through verse 46. And now, here's today's first scripture portion. Matthew chapter 25, verse 13 through verse 30. Watch, therefore. For you don't know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. For it is like a man going into another country who called his own servants and entrusted his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went on his journey. Immediately he who received the five talents went and traded with them, and made another five talents. In the same way, he also who got the two gained another two. But he who received the one went away and dug in the earth, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came, and reconciled accounts with them. He who received the five talents came and brought another five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Behold, I have gained another five talents besides them. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will set you over many things. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who got the two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Behold, I have gained another two talents besides them. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will set you over many things. Enter in to the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew that you are a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the earth. Behold, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I didn't sow and gather where I didn't scatter. You ought, therefore, to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received back my own with interest. Take away, therefore, the talent from him, 
and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who doesn't have, even that which he has will be taken away. Throw out the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And now, here's Eliyahu ben David with insight on those verses. Hello, friends. We recognize the things this verse has to say. 2 Timothy 2.15, and it says, Study to present yourself approved of Elohim, a workman unashamed, rightly expounding the word of truth. We need to present ourselves and look to be approved. We need to be unashamed as workmen of Messiah. We recognize we are, all of us who are his fellow workers with him. And so it's something we have to work at, actually becoming better fellow workers with him, to produce something for his kingdom. Well, the reason I'm mentioning all of that is because we're at a point now in the scriptures, in the book of Matthew, where Messiah himself is talking about these themes. Here in Matthew chapter 25, verse 13 through 30, he's talking about the parable of the talents. This parable is putting upon us this responsibility to manage the kingdom resources that he puts into our hands. I've chosen also as a theme verse, 1 Corinthians 4.2. I chose this verse because it kind of epitomizes what the entire parable is about. So even though it's not from Matthew, it gives that point that the parable is about, and that is, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So we're going to look more into that same theme of Manage your kingdom resources. We have this verse, 1 Corinthians 4.2, and it says it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And we have the Greek words here. A steward means to manage or a manager. And to be faithful in this context is not to have faith, but to be someone that others can put faith in. In other words, a trustworthy person, a reliable person. And surely Messiah should be able to rely on us. Now, before we get into this subject any deeper, I think we need to really address some false ideas out there. You know, we have the grace message, right? That... We're saved by grace apart from works. And yet what we're talking about here is works, isn't it? So how do we balance these two things out? How do they possibly go together? It's really simple, and that is this. That when we were saved, we didn't do anything to deserve being saved. We put our faith in Yeshua Messiah who did it all for us, who gave his life for us. So. It was totally a matter of grace being saved. But this parable, it's about people who already are saved, right? They're already servants of Messiah. And you see, when we become servants of Messiah, now he has a right to have expectations of us. And, you know, this is the part that's left out of the grace message. And this is why... A lot of folks, unfortunately, who claim to be believers really are not doing very much with their life for the kingdom because they've got this messed up. But they ought to come and read this parable because you can't read this parable and not understand Messiah had expectations. When he went away, he expected to come back and he expected that his servants would produce something with what he gave each of us. And so the word 
It's not written here, but is implied here is the word duty. We don't hear that word much anymore. People don't really like the word duty very much. But if we're his servants, do we not have a duty to produce something with what he's given us? So it is required of every disciple to faithfully manage their kingdom resources. It is our duty. And our kingdom resources are not just things having to do with bringing the word to other people. That's just part of it. Our kingdom resources really are everything we have and are. Everything that Messiah has entrusted to us. And we need to use everything we've got to produce something for the kingdom. All of our kingdom resources. So with that thought in mind, I had a few points I wanted to bring up. When it says it here, it means the kingdom. It's carrying on from the previous parable. So when it says it, that parable was about the kingdom. This parable is about the kingdom. It's like a man going into another country who called his servants and entrusted his goods to them. Who was that? It's Messiah, right? Explaining what was going to happen, that he was going to be killed and resurrected, was going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, going away as if to a far country, and having entrusted the goods of the kingdom to his servants, to all of us. So his goods are the kingdom resources that he's put into our hands. Now, I think this is a profound thing. I remember when I first understood this. You know, you have to reach a certain level of maturity, I think, before you get this. Because a lot of us just think that our life is our own to do with what we want to do. We don't always understand that who we are and what we've been given and even our time are all kingdom resources that he's expecting us to manage for him. And, you know, when I first really grasped that, it hit me as something really serious in my life, something that I really needed to do. And that really is the expectation that we get from looking at this parable. It tells us here that to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went on his journey. So whether you've been given five talents, two talents, or one talent, everyone is given something. You have something to give. Now, you might think that what you have to give really isn't worth very much. But look what happened with that little boy who had a few fish that he handed over to Messiah, who then fed 5,000 people with it. You know, Messiah is involved here. So we need to trust him. We need to put our faith in him. It's not really all about what we have. It's all about whether or not we're willing to invest that into the kingdom. It takes a certain amount of boldness, I think. Let's look at these talents for a minute. In their primary meaning, the talents are a kind of money. And it speaks of a scale, a balance, a pair of scales, that which is weighed a talent. It is a certain weight of money. This is how, in ancient times, money was handed out. It was according to weight. So this parable kind of pictures the master weighing out a certain amount to each of these servants according to what he felt they could produce something with. And was a different amount to each one. Now, when we apply this a little further, and we think of this as picturing kingdom resources, 
really everything that he puts into our life, we can think in terms of him weighing those things out to us. And isn't it true that everybody's different? We all have different abilities, different talents, different resources that have been weighed out to us. And then our responsibility is to invest that in our lives through the things we do to produce something for the kingdom. It's really a kind of a simple idea, but the really different thing about this idea is that our life is not about us. It's about the kingdom. Really big difference from the way the world thinks of things. Well, let's talk about these talents. You know, five, three, one talent doesn't sound like much. Let's say those were dollars. You got $5 to invest. No big deal, right? But actually, a talent equaled 6,000 denarii. And that was equal to 6,000 days' pay. So one talent was worth approximately 20 years of wages. Think of that as 20 years of service. Just one talent. That's the guy that got the least. So what you might think of as a little bit that you've been given, just look at how much it's really worth. So very, very much. And then we look at these others, the two talents, about 40 years worth of wages. Five talents, about 100 years worth of wages. That equals, in terms of money, a lot of money. In terms of time, a lot of a person's time, right? So we're not talking about a little bit. We're really talking about something that would absorb the entire life of any of these servants according to what their abilities might be. Now, here I think is a very important thing. After a long time, the master of those servants came and reconciled accounts with them. Do you see what that's really telling us? He is going to come. He is. He is going to return. And when he does, he is going to reconcile accounts with his servants. That's you and me, friends. Is there any escaping that? You know, this is going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen with all of us. And, you know, it's what we're looking forward to, right? To have him come back. But maybe we're not going to look forward to it so much if we're not really diligent about producing something for the kingdom. Maybe, maybe then there might be even a sense of dread. And none of us want that to happen. So knowing for a fact that he is going to return and that he is going to settle accounts with his servants, shouldn't we really be planning for that in advance so that on that day we're going to be ready when he comes, that we're going to have something? Wouldn't you like to be one of those servants that says, hey, you gave me this and I did this with it? Well, knowing that that's what all of us want, and really you wouldn't be at this meeting if that's not what you wanted, I think we just need to focus on a few things that sometimes stand in our way from doing our best with the kingdom resources he's given us. One thing is focus. We have to keep focused on kingdom priorities to score for the kingdom. Just living life is not going to do it because there's so many things to distract us and just, uh, you know, a hit or miss kind of thing is not really going to end up producing very much for the kingdom. So we need to live a life that we have purposely focused on him and really coasting through life 
is not going to do it for us. It's not going to accomplish much at all for the kingdom. It's not going to accomplish much for us. We really need to be engaged. We really need to be thinking about our life daily, about the things he puts before us, and really invest ourselves into making the most out of those things for the kingdom. Now, here's a real killer in terms of producing for the kingdom, and that is procrastination. Procrastination, putting things off. Because procrastination kills productivity, right? You just think, okay, I'm going to just spend a couple hours on Facebook today. You put off the things you need to do. Oh, I'm going to play a game. You put off the things you need to do. Oh, I'm going to spend 15 minutes on YouTube. Turns out to be three hours. And you get to the end of the day. And what happened to the things that you were going to do for the kingdom? And, you know, it's all so easy now, right? Like in the past, when life was different and people had to pay attention, you know, to do their work, everything was pretty much done with your hands, with your mind. It wasn't so easy. I mean, people have always got distracted, but it wasn't so easy as now as it is these days. We've just got so many messages coming at us all the time. It's very easy to get distracted. It's very easy to procrastinate. But we have to realize that is really going to cut into our productivity and what we can produce for the kingdom in our life. So if you got something to do for the kingdom, do it now, not later. Very simple. Very simple to say, harder to do. Well, then we have the servant who had the one. We want to talk a little bit about him. He who received the one went away and dug in the earth and hid his master's money. You know, sometimes people are afraid to become engaged with what they have. And, you know, as soon as we make the decision, to do more with what we have, then the whole trajectory of this thing changes. If this guy that ended up hiding his one talent in the ground one day had thought about it and said, you know, this is really a bad idea that I buried this talent in the ground. You know, I can't do much with this myself, but I think I'm going to dig it up. I'm going to take it to the bank. And... Maybe I'll get some interest on it. I'll have that when the master comes back. Well, I think things might have worked out okay for him. Because it says, when his master came back, he says, You ought, therefore, to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received back my own with interest. Messiah would have accepted that, because he would have produced something with what he had. You know, not everybody can be in the full-time ministry. They just, that's not what they have in their life. Maybe uh, at the time that they get saved, they've already made decisions in their life that are hindering them from being able to do more, even though they'd like to. Well, why not then take what resources you have and deposit it with people who are doing those things, you know? And for instance, our ministry certainly could use that. We have times, like if you have a little time, you can come and help us as a volunteer. That could be a big help. We always need support because we always have bills to pay. And, you know, paying for our building, we're always reaching out and doing more. So whatever you can do to help support our work at Zion is certainly helping to support the kingdom. And it's kind of like depositing your money with the bankers and getting some interest. Not that we're bankers, because we're not. But you understand the point, right? We all need to give to the point that we can do it in order to produce something for the kingdom. And if we do that, we're going to end up okay. It's going to be all right. We're going to have something that we can show on that day. 
Here's the rule. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who doesn't have, even that which he has will be taken away. Now, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? And yet, this is a principle of the kingdom. I call it, use it or lose it. That's really how it works. And you know, even if you're entrusted with just a little bit, if you faithfully use that for the kingdom, then you'll receive more. Sometimes people who were given just a little bit ended up with a lot. You know, think of young David out there in the field watching the sheep. And he was the least in his household, the scripture says. And the reason he was out there doing it is because nobody else wanted to do it. He's the one that ended up being the king of Israel. Faithfully manage whatever, even a little bit that Messiah puts in your hand. And you could be awesomely surprised at where that could lead in your life. Just a reminder, here are the words we long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will set you over many things. Enter into the joy of your master. When our master returns, he's coming to set up his kingdom on the earth. He needs faithful servants that he can appoint over very, very important service as kings and priests in the earth. It's now, during this life, that we prove through the things that we do that he can look to us, that he can count on us to be a part of that. And realizing that he's going to come, realizing that he's going to say these words to those who are faithful, let's all strive to be among those faithful people who do something with the kingdom resources that he gives us. And then my last thought, it's really quite huge. The rewards for faithfulness and for faithfully managing your kingdom resources are greater than you can possibly imagine. And the reason is because our Messiah is so incredibly generous. It will be well worth it for all of us. Well, that's what I had to share tonight. Manage your kingdom resources. That's what we're all called to do. Would you like to hear more of Eliyahu's teachings? Do you have a question or prayer request and would like to get in touch with one of our volunteers for help? Or do you just want to know more about Eliyahu ben David and Zion Ministry? Visit our website at zion.org where you can listen to more teachings from Eliyahu ben David straight from the homepage of our website. Check out our books, DVDs, internet videos, and other social media outlets. Learn more about Eliyahu and the Zion team on the About page. See what our ministry's mission is on the Remnant Vision page. Send a question or prayer request from our Contact Us page. Or click Join Us in the menu bar to learn about our community site, Zion Tabernacle. To find out more about Zion Ministry, go to zion.org. That's zion.org, spelled T S. I Y O N dot O R G. Tear down your idols. <laughs>
Here's the next scripture portion from Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through verse 46. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Before him all the nations will be gathered, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will tell those on his right hand, Come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer them, Most certainly, I tell you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say also to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire which is prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you didn't give me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. Naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't help you? Then he will answer them, saying, Most certainly I tell you, inasmuch as you didn't do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And now, here's Eliyahu ben David on that portion. Greetings, friends. What is going to happen when he returns to the earth and he sits down on his glorious throne, taking up his kingdom rule for the thousand-year reign? Sheep and goats. We're going to find out all about what that means tonight in Matthew chapter 25. When we read these verses, it seems like something different than many of us have always been taught. You know, we've always had this dichotomy. We see it everywhere of heaven and hell. And everybody who believes in Jesus is going to heaven, and everybody else is going to hell. And then comes along this verse, this passage, and it doesn't sound like that same dichotomy, does it? And that's very challenging. What is this really all about here? Well, I just want to add a few things to the beginning of this whole discussion. In the beginning part of Matthew chapter 24, because the question the disciples brought to him at that time is, what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So that's what this is all about in Matthew 24 and 25. It's all about, first of all, the sign of his coming, and then the end of the age. So in, in Matthew 24, we have all the things about the sign. And that brings us to this climax of this moment when the sign of the Son of Man is seen in heaven. And this is like the big moment, right? When Messiah returns. And this is when he gathers all of his chosen ones together. And we know what the scriptures say. They're actually going to be changed, glorified beings. And they're going to be raised. They're going to actually ascend into the air. Everybody will see it happen. 
and the angels. It tells us there in Matthew 24, I'm going to gather them all together and bring them to where Yeshua Messiah is when he comes to us on that incredible day. So what about this in Matthew 25? What is the time frame here? Well, in verse 31, it says, when he comes, he will sit on the throne of his glory. So this is all about what happens when he sits on the throne of his glory. So what has happened already? Well, first of all, he's come. Everybody's seen the sign of the Son of Man. The righteous who belong to him are going to be resurrected and or changed and go and be with him. This is all going to happen in the clouds. The whole world will see this. Then in the book of Revelation, it tells us how he makes war with the enemies who are attacking his people at Armageddon. This is the plain of Megiddo. It's a real place. I've been there. And it's a plain, a valley plain, where more decisive wars have been fought than any place else in the world. This is going to be the final decisive war where the anti-Messiah and those who are arrayed with him who actively war against Messiah and his people will be soundly defeated. Then the scripture tells us what's going to happen after that's done. Satan and his demons are going to be thrown into a pit. What does that mean? Well, maybe it's a literal pit. Maybe it's a spiritual pit, but whatever kind of pit it is, he's not getting out for a thousand years. Satan and all of his demons. Just imagine that in your head. No more demons in this world to inspire all of the evil acts that we see in the world, to torment people and harm people, and to blaspheme the name of our Father. They're all going to be taken away and put in prison. So all of this will all have been done. He's taking care of this right away. And the war is over now. He makes his entrance into the capital city of Israel and the world, the city of Jerusalem. And there he sits on the throne of his glory. So what is the next thing to happen? Well, the next thing to happen is very simple. It says, before him are all the nations. Isn't that exactly what you would expect? Isn't that the next thing to deal with? When we talk about all the nations, what we're talking about are all of the survivors. Because the world will have already come through a horrible ordeal even before Messiah returns. In fact, the scriptures tell us, unless those days were cut short, no flesh would be saved. Mankind will have brought the world to the point of total extinction. Realize by fighting the war of Armageddon, Messiah will actually be saving the world. Isn't that something to think about? Many people will have already lost their lives through the ordeal that the anti-Messiah is going to bring into the world. But there will be survivors. So the nations that are gathered before him are the survivors of all of that the people that made it all the way to the end alive. 
And what will happen with him? He's going to finish up what he's been doing all along, what he's doing right now, separating people, separating the righteous from the wicked. All these events that are happening, all these last days events, all the events of the Great Tribulation, his purpose in allowing this to happen in the world is so that every single person will have to make a choice. They'll have to decide who they're going to be, what camp they're going to be in. And when it gets right down to the end and all the nations are gathered before him, this is where it's finally coming to its conclusion, this whole separation process. And these survivors who are left are now to be separated. Realize that the believers who belong to Messiah have already gone to be with him, right? So they're there, and you know what? According to the book of Revelation, they're sitting on his throne with him. Apparently, it's going to be a really big throne. They're sharing in his authority. They're already there. Let's hope that's you and me, right? This is very relevant to each of us because we're all going to be involved in this one way or the other. So imagine that day when we see this happen. And he's going to test and try every person. What were you doing when these things were happening? Now, realize these people are not the people that he foreknew, who were meant to be part of his kingdom, to sit on the throne with him. These are the nations, and yet he doesn't just destroy them all. That's what some people would expect. That's not what he says is going to happen. What he says is he's going to divide them into two camps the righteous and the wicked. And that's the way it's going to happen. The sheep and the goats. And the sheep on his right hand, he's going to say to them, come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You know what he's talking about? The Garden of Eden. When he created the Garden of Eden, that was the kingdom for mankind. That was where he meant us to live, right? In a perfect paradise. That's where man was meant to live. Now that was going to be a reality. People were actually going to live in paradise now. I think that's an amazing thing to think about. Human beings. So we're not talking about people going off to heaven. We're not even talking about glorified beings. He's not talking about that. He's talking about restoration of the Garden of Eden globally. Inheriting the earth, right? That's what would happen with the sheep. And... He is going to identify who they are. And he will separate them out from all the rest of the people of the world after the close of the Great Tribulation when he sits on his throne. And how is he going to determine who is worthy to continue? You see, this is not determining who is going to be ruling with him in the kingdom. That is determined by putting faith in Messiah in this age. But for these people, right on the threshold of the kingdom, these ones who are left, the standard that he applies is the standard of what did you do to and for me. And that 
he takes as what did they do to and for his people. Do you ever think about how closely he identifies with you, with who you are as one of his people? You know, with each of us, it's staggering to think about it, but he goes with us through all of our struggles. Our struggles are his struggles. The things you go through as you go through this walk, the struggles that you experience, the pain that you experience inflicted on you by this world, all of those things he is experiencing too. This is not just a metaphorical thing. This is a fact. Because he lives in every one of us who are his own. So our experience is his experience. And he takes that very personally. So some of these people who go through all of these things, instead of joining with the evil ones, they have sympathies that lie with his people. And they do what they can to help. Because, you know, that is going to be a time of terrible attack from the enemy. And it's going to make a difference having someone who will give you a drink when you need it, who will visit you in prison, who will clothe you when you're naked, who will help you when you're sick. And that will matter so much to Yeshua Messiah that every single person who does that towards one of his own, he will remember just as surely as you would remember that person who does that good thing for you when you need it. He's going to remember that. And every single one of those people who do that loving deed towards him and his people will receive their reward. And their reward will be to enter into everlasting life in his kingdom. And as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So, they're mortals, they're continuous mortals. And you know, this explains for us so many prophecies in the Scripture that talk about the nations during the millennial reign. This confuses a lot of people. Well, how can there be nations, you know, after the Battle of Armageddon and everything? Aren't all those people destroyed? No, they're not all destroyed. Messiah himself is telling us how he decides who the people will be that will people the earth during his kingdom. It's the sheep. It's these sheep. They'll be the ones that will people the earth during his kingdom. And you know, they're going to have a wonderful opportunity because these are the folks who, in many cases, don't really know very much about him or his ways. And they're going to learn. And maybe you or I will have an opportunity to teach them. And the prophets tell us what's going to happen during that time is that eyes will be opened, ears will be opened, the lame will be made to walk. There will be no more disease. Just think about that world. Mankind will be healed. The book of Revelation talks about the waters of life going out from the throne and the tree of life. And it says the leaves of the trees are for what? The healing of the nations. I think it's hard to imagine how much this world is going to change. 
You know, it's really hard to get your head around something like this because throughout human history as we understand it, you know, we've had pain, we've had death, we've had suffering, we've had misery, we've had wars, we've had the strong taking advantage of the weak, and on and on. And many people just take for granted, well, that's how it's always been. That's how it will always be. Here, Messiah is telling us that's not true. Maybe that is how it's always been, but it's not how it's always going to be. There's going to be a day, one day, when this is all going to change. The very nature of the world we live in will change when Yeshua Messiah sits down on his glorious throne. There will be no more toleration for evil and wickedness. Those days are done. Yes, people will have help to reform who want to do that. But those people who have chosen the way of wickedness, there's no place for them in the kingdom. And that might sound harsh. I know it sounds harsh to those people because they have no intention of changing their ways. And they think somehow they are entitled to live as wicked people, as predators on everybody else. Messiah has a different point of view. And he says of those people on his left, they are goats. That's what he calls them. And he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. Is there anything about that sentence that you don't understand? It's very clear. Well, where is the tolerance here? Where is the grace for these people? There is none. There is none for them. They had their chance. They made their choice. It's time for righteousness in the world. There is no more tolerance for wickedness in the world. Not then. And they showed who they were by the way they treated him and by the way they treated his people. And they will not be able to deny it. And he will say, inasmuch as you didn't do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. They did not have love in their hearts towards righteousness, or towards righteous people. They're not kingdom material. It says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, some people get confused about this because they think, well, wait a minute here. I thought the judgment of the nations happens at the end of the thousand years, and this is just at the beginning. So, you know, how is this happening like this? One answer could be in the meaning of this word punishment. As you can see here from the Greek, it means penal infliction. In other words, a sentence is given, a legal sentence is given, and then that sentence is carried out. The verdict is carried out. That's what the punishment is, penal infliction. But this is actually from a word that also means reserved for infliction. In other words, the sentence has been given, and then these people are awaiting that sentence to be carried out. So it's possible that what this is really saying with these people, these goats, 
is that they will await the carrying out of that sentence until the great white throne judgment happens. That might be very much what it's saying. And so, therefore, there would be no kind of a time conflict here. But you can see why this has to happen at the beginning of the kingdom. Because if at the beginning of Messiah's rule, he did not separate the righteous from the wicked, and he just let things go on like they are, well, how would his kingdom be any different than the world we've got? True, Satan and his demons would be out of the way, but you know what I've seen is mankind can be pretty wicked without any help. So he's going to deal with that right at the very beginning when we first enter into the kingdom. And the kingdom is for people who want to be righteous people. Now, I think a lot of these folks who are going to end up being sheep going into the kingdom, they're not perfect people. They're going to have lots of flaws in their life, right? Because they have not been walking as believers. But apparently, as sheep, they have the kind of heart where they can learn, where they can be molded, and they can appreciate what is good. And they showed that by being good towards good people. And so the kingdom is going to change people. It's going to be a time of reform for the world of mankind. People are finally going to learn in this world how to live together in peace, how to love one another, and how they should live before their creator. And where are they going to learn that? From the Torah. From the Torah. It's all in Scripture right now. They could all do it right now. The prophecy is that the Torah will go forth from Zion, right? His righteous standards are available to every person. And in the kingdom, that's how we're going to live. So why not do it now? So here's the point. There will be righteousness in this world. Things are going to change. The thing that makes that possible is a righteous, benevolent king who will enforce righteousness in the world. You know, something I've noted, and I don't know about you, but it kind of bugs me. It seems like everything in this world is such that good people are penalized for what the bad people are doing. Did you ever notice that? Something as simple as taking a flight in an airplane somewhere. You're a perfectly good person. You're not going to hurt anybody. But you have to wait in line for an hour and have all your stuff confiscated from you because there might be one bad person in the bunch. Why should that be the case? Why should every good person be penalized for the bad people? And you know that same principle? You see that everywhere you go. And you're looked at with suspicion, right? Because there are bad people in the world. Shouldn't that come to an end at some point? What Yeshua Messiah is telling us right here is it will come to an end. He's going to bring it to an end. And what Matthew 24 tells us is that's going to happen very soon.
You have been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Further teachings and study materials on various related topics and others can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot N-E-T. Or click the membership link on the Zion Road website. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Join us next Shabbat to learn more in the book of Matthew. Shabbat Shalom! Ask for the ancient past.